Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting-edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Hello and welcome to our next uh, episode on the podcast and our conversation is really as far across Australia as you could possibly uh, stretch the, the string right now. Um, my guest is Caitlin Brahini, who is the founding director of Connect Pediatric Therapy Services. Welcome from the other side of the big red uh, island. <laughs> Thanks, Cathy. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. So, founding director, um, let's just kind of talk about where you are first up. Yep. So, um, I li- we live in Karatha, which is um, it's a mining town predominantly, but it's um, growing quite a lot in the last 10 years. Um, the city of Karatha's vision is to make it the most livable um, my sort of resource mm. town in the northwest. Um, everyone here likes to think of it as a as as the it's what's driving Australian economy at the moment up Keeping here. Keeping us afloat. Um, yeah, but um, yeah. we're 2,000 kilometres north north of Perth, so wow. quite a distance. Yeah, yeah, and I'm the complete opposite if you drew a line through um, <laughs> out the other side of Melbourne almost. All righty. Yeah. So we haven't spoken for years, and so I'm looking forward to this as a, a real catch-up. But um, Describe to us right now, like, what what is it that you're doing? Who's in the team? Just let um, us walk in the door. Yeah, it has, Kathy. I think a lot has changed since I spoke to you. I think it was a couple of years ago. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I, you know, Connect has had a very organic growth. Um, we, I started um, doing speech pathology up here when, I, when we moved, which was almost 10 years ago now, and I noted that there was nothing here for families with disabilities, uh, not really any good quality services and and especially multidisciplinary team. So I slowly um, began to, well, yeah, I founded Connect in 2016 and then I got my first OT on board to work with me in in about the beginning of 2017 with my aim being to build a multidisciplinary Mm. team to support families. And, um, yeah, we now... What's it? Twenty twenty one, and we've got um, a large team, so about forty staff, um, and which incorporates as well as the business side of things. We've we've got physios, speeches, OTs, dietetics, um, psychologists, allied health assistants, and a community liaison officer, so Aboriginal liaison role as well, which is very exciting. That's quite a new area we've gone into. I don't think I've lost, I don't think I've forgotten anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, with um, that's a lot of people at the Christmas party. So if yes. one or two slipped your mind, um, <laughs> they wouldn't be far, uh, far away. So is everybody on site with you up there and got a chair and table kind of thing? Or are you running a remote team as well? No. So we we invested in that. So we've got a commercial space now. Um, we we got hold of an old doctor's clinic, which we transformed into a, into a pediatric therapy space um and yeah we're all in the we're all 
in the office, although we do do remote outreach trips. So at any one time, you mm. know, we could have, uh, it, yeah, we've, we've got people in the community and also uh, servicing the, the outer towns and doing telehealth. I was going to ask you about that. Is that yeah. something that's really kind of um, you've really taken off with? I wouldn't say taken off, I think, um, but but definitely COVID, you know, in that initial in that initial mm. stage where we all had to think on our feet, we we did push that telehealth. Um, so we definitely are not shy of doing it. Um, and it definitely works for 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 some of the clients who, you know, live five hours away. Yeah. Um, but we do encourage some face to face. So I would never, I would never say we can do everything telehealth. There needs to be some of that face to face to build the rapport and the relationship first and, and in between, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's a really, yeah. it's a great adjunct. It really supports Absolutely. all of the other services and events that you guys provide. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Alrighty. So I guess listeners who are sort of thinking, oh my gosh, I can't even build a team in metro reg- regions are just kind of wondering about how on earth that magic happened. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a, in a bit, but tell us about kind of from you and the OT to a team of 40 and you know, before I hit record, I did hear the word blood, sweat and tears. So <laughs> kind of, and you said organic. So what was it that really happened in, in those interim years? Um, there was, there is, there's a huge need. Um, and I guess what I could see is opportunity and, and, and a gap in terms of filling that need because people were screaming out for it. Um, and if they couldn't get it, they leave, they were leaving town. And a lot of families nowadays really enjoy the lifestyle of the Northwest. Mm-hmm. So it was breaking my heart to hear of families actually having to relocate because they, the services were not here and that, you know, the services they needed were not available. Um, it then was, when I say organic, um, it did seem to be an organic growth because I never really recruited in the initial stages. It was just word of mouth. Oh, look, someone's moved to town because their husband's got a job at Woodside. She's an OT or she's a speechy. And, you know, we, we sort you of just should built, talk. Yeah. <laughs> we built our team like that. It got to the stage where we couldn't work out the back of my house anymore. Um, we, I've got three young kids, so, and a dog and it just wasn't appropriate. Um, so we, we actually moved into, to another I, another space which we soon grew out of as well and that's when I took the biggest leap of going right we we need this is this is mm. getting big we really need to have a space that we um that we can grow into uh since then we've actually we've actually bought, got the next the next two offices as You're well. like a hermit so. crab you just keep <laughs> releasing a shell and crawling yeah, into so. the next biggest one yeah so it was it was so that's what I mean by that sort of sense of organic mm. um but we then got to a stage and I guess it was sort of the middle of last year where I was like I can't do everything anymore um I tried to step back a bit from clinical work to focus on the business but it was very clear that I needed some expert sort of eight HR staff. We needed uh, a well-trained finance officer. Um, so that's when the, that's when we started to think about well, what's the foundations of business and really build those those the business management team. Yeah. What have you learned about leadership in these last few years? Oh, huge amount of, uh, and a lot from all the mistakes I've made. <laughs> um, and well, I you're think- welcome to share them if you're comfy. Um, yeah, look, I think, um, I think 
I've learned a lot about myself. The first thing I did when I realized that I was going to be, um, you know, when I sort of looked around and thought, flip, I'm leading a big team now, um, Mm. was was go and enroll in some sort of formal leadership training. I felt I I needed to do that. It was unfortunate, actually, because the first one I wanted to do was over in the Melbourne Business School. But but COVID hit and I couldn't go do that. But I've spent a bit of time in Perth at AMWA doing some of the leadership courses. Um, the most, the most important, I think the most valuable one for me was one called leading self, because I realized that I needed to truly know myself to be able to lead others. And, um, that was a real eye opener in terms of what drives me, what do I want? What are my values? What is my Mm. vision? You know, not because I think what had happened is I'd become very much intermingled with my business you know so it allowed me to step back um yeah so so I guess that's when the real leadership stuff happened um but the rest of it I was really just following my nose and doing what I knew right right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but um I hear what what you described I hear quite a bit and I've heard it described as oh my gosh I've disappeared into my business yeah yeah, oh, I can relate to that hugely. Um, I'm still learning. It's still a huge uh, growth growth opportunity for me. I, I to put some boundaries in place to um, remember why I'm doing this. Um, to to you know remember I do have a husband and three children who need and me a dog as well. and a dog and a dog yeah. <laughs> so um, look, I'm still learning. Uh, I don't believe anyone can really be an expert in this. I think I'm lucky because my job. I love my job. I love mm. what I do. I'm driven by it, so it doesn't feel like work. It's actually a part of 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 who I am. But it can. I think if you keep, if you don't stop and you keep treading down that path, it's really easy to to burn yourself out. And I yeah. feel, I feel like I was teetering on that for a while. Yeah. Well, a pandemic will do that, mm. um, along with being passionate and listening to what your community want as well. That will kind of yeah. do do that. So if we think back around, um, you know, what what did your week look like twelve months ago, and then what does a typical week look like now? That's often an interesting indicator for how your role has changed um so 12 months ago uh, or even 18 months ago my day started at 3 a.m and I would wake up and go straight to the office um to get some work done and get some of the management sort of things out the way and all the millions of emails and then I would rush back home to be with the kids when they woke up and sort of get everyone ready to school get ready for school and yeah and and then my day started with yeah, at eight thirty, with everyone coming into the office. So, look, and I, um, like, so yeah, and then it would be a mixture of supporting families, but then also supporting my team. Um, and I, it was a big blur. My days were just an absolute muddle between clinical work, supervision, mm. uh, making big decisions about finance, finances. You know, recruiting. It was just yeah. Whereas now I have a fantastic leadership team. I've put in place. You know, I've got an operations manager and a clinical services manager who are huge support. Uh, we did also 
get a wonderful um, outsource the bookkeeping and the account that was all outsourced and had some great HR consulting who then has supported us to employ a full-time HR officer. So at least I don't have to worry about that. So it's really been a case of learning to delegate and really learning. I can't do it. I wasn't going to do it all. And I would have actually bled this business into the ground if I'd carried on the way I was. Yeah, I was just talking with um, a business owner early this morning and I sort of said, you know, who don't you have in the business yet? Who don't you have yet? And um, it wasn't too hard to rattle off all sorts of different people. Um, And I sort of said, well, the reason that they're missing is that you're still doing or having a red hot go at all of those things, the accounts, the finances, the reporting, the HR, the recruiting. Let me kind of just, you know, count my fingers and toes. So, um. Yeah, it's it's hard. That was a really big jump that I had to take because what it meant is that you're investing back, everything you earn is going straight back into your business mm. to set those foundations, you know, because uh, to set the foundations. And I guess it's only when I sort of had these really sort of intense talks with accountants and stuff like that, that I began to learn the necessity and, you know, have to mm. backpedal quite a lot to put those in place. And I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel now. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a reminder that at some point um, it you've, you've just got to step out of being a clinician. You know, there, there are skills that are transferable, but a business is a business. And when you've got 30 souls on the, uh, on the um, payroll, uh, you really need to be stepping up with governance and compliance and strategy and reporting and decisions and all of those pieces, which... Which week do you prefer now? Do you prefer now, August 2021, or do you prefer um, February 2020? Um, That's a really good question, Cathy. I guess um, I loved the chaos and the the sort of fast pace of where I was in 2018, but it was taking its toll, Um, you know. But but what I found really difficult is, is not feeling busy enough because I use that that of how I was oh, back then. That's your meter. That's your benchmark. That's yeah. So I've really had to work hard to with to re- to sort of teach myself, but that wasn't that wasn't sustainable. And and try and give myself permission to be. This is you know this is okay. You still are mm. being busy, and you're still supporting your team, and you know well you're busy enough. Yeah. Have you read about um, addiction to busy? No, this concept of just being addicted, even at a cellular level, to just be busy and on the whole time. Yeah, I haven't, but um, I, I can, I can probably relate to to what that <laughs> I think is. We all I, can. <laughs> I did read, um, <laughs> I did read that really interesting book, uh, Fast Thinking versus Slow Thinking. I, I don't think that's yep. the name of that, it. That's but, right. I know. Yeah. And oh, I just resonated so much with the fast thinking, and I work on instinct, and I've just been lucky that my instinct has been has been correct or or good. Um, but yeah, working hard at the moment to just slow myself down and obviously using the team around me to slow me down and be a bit more methodical because I was referred to as as a leader as as I, I look at myself as sometimes giving the team organizational whiplash mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I have so many ideas and I um and I would go down that path and then go oh and then and then 
suddenly changed my mind. You know what I mean? Which was just really creating this sense of chaos and yeah, not not a, not a great not a great way. Yeah. That was yeah, yeah. So, I yep. No. Uh, yeah, it's just that I call it um, that sort of strategic cyclone. Just come totally. in and spin it all up and just hope enough stuff lands in the right spot. Totally. Wow, wow. Yeah. So tell us about your beautiful team. What, um, who are they and what makes them awesome? Um, look, I think, I think because we're, because I'm so strong on the values of what we stand for, we're a real values mm. organization. I've managed to attract people who, who respect that and respect what I do and why why I do it. Mm. Um, so I have a I absolutely have a wonderful team. Um, it's not easy to recruit um, up here and uh, in Karatha because you know we're far from places and you really have to have a specific type of personality to enjoy the lifestyle. Um, be you know it's adventurous. There's so much to do up here, but you really need to get out and, and do it to love it. Get your um, boots on. Yep. Um, sorry. I so so yeah. Look, I think I've managed to tap into what we need. You know, we need people who want to seize opportunities. We need people who who um, love taking risks. Well, letting me take the risk, but them sort of doing the yeah the risk taking. Um, so yeah, look, it's 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 a great team. I I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. <laughs> what um what have they taught you? They've taught me to be a better leader. They've taught me to um what have they taught me? What else? They've taught me to value myself. To um, to start to really um, celebrate who I am because um, who I am and what I've done. I guess I'm not very good at at taking praise and 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 really looking at yeah at what we've created. But most of all, I think um, yeah they've they, they've made me better because they all have strengths. Every one of my staff members have strengths, and I love to utilize their strengths. So you know, it's really about collaboration and how we can work together. Yeah. What do your team meetings look like? They are a lot of celebration. So we are <laughs> a lot we, of cake. Yeah, lots of cake. No, we do a lot of uh, celebrating the small wins. We want to celebrate the the little victories because you can often get pulled down in things that we haven't done, um, which I can which I feel is is can feel it's just like this this yeah. hamster on a treadmill. And mm-hmm. yes, there's always more we can do, but it's really important to celebrate the the little wins that and the and the real changes we've made in people's lives. Yeah, and then. What about your clients? Because I know that you've sort of still got wait lists and it just seems to be this never-ending kind of list. You know, we obviously don't need nitty-gritty details, but um, who are your clients? Where are they coming from? How do they find you? Well, we are, I'm hoping not too hard to find anymore. We're the biggest uh, allied health provider in Karatha, so a multidisciplinary provider. Mm. Uh, But, yeah, they, they are 
community members, um, you know, people who have heard about us from from websites or social media, whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, they they live in the Pilbara and they want to access good quality services. We're NDIS registered. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of NDIS, but but not only we, we have mm. private clients and yeah, as well. So, yeah, just just a, a wide, a wide array. I think that's what's so special about rural remote service delivery is it's so generalized and anything can walk in the door. It's such a wonderful platform to grow a clinician because you have so many different experiences. Yeah. And I know you work with children, but are you kind of stepping up towards teens or young adults or are you really kind of staying true to the little ones? No. So our scope is not to 18. Mm. Um, we, we do, although, you know, one of our, one of our philosophies is supporting the whole child. So bearing in mind that with the whole child, you've got the system, the family system, and, you know, Mm. it's, it's impossible to pull that out of the family system. So we do provide sort of some short term intervention around sort of parenting and things like that, running circle of security programs, um, uh, you know, using the evidence to, link it back to the child, if you know what I mean. So some of those real evidence-based programs that can, that can change the change or, or start to shift the, the, the family culture and, and the family system, which will, which will only then impact the child. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always been keen on groups and yes. putting the child into a social experience. Um, how do you kind of mix that up with the one-on-one kind of sessions and the parent coaching and in and out of groups and schools and all of that? Because everybody knows everybody where you are and you've kind of got kind of some different logistics in a remote but yeah. tight, close community. Look, Kathy, I think it all comes back to the person, the, the individual's goals. So I think mm. if I talk specifically about NDIS, it comes back to what their goals are and we will support the family to identify, you know, and we will tailor our approach um, around what their goals are and what their unmet needs are. Mm. So if that means, you know, they're seeing individual speech pathology but they're also attending a social thinking group, you know, and that fits in with the goals or, you know, maybe one of their goals is to, you know, learn to ride a bike. So we'll be in the community, you know, in the parks, physios, you know, OTs doing doing that. So it's really individualised, family-centred approach um, to, to intervention. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sounds so, so, so good. Now, you've mentioned NDIS a couple of times. You're registered? Yes. Provided? Yes. yes. Providers. How was that process for you? Um, oh, it's ongoing, isn't it? Um, yeah, we, it is. You do forget yeah. that bit when you sign up and yeah. do that step totally. one. It's just a process. It's just something that we have mm. to do because we're, we're wanting to include, we're wanting to make, I believe it's important because we're all about quality services. So if we are compliant with the quality and safeguards, there's no, that's important. We, we would be anyway. So why mm. not just get the tick of approval, you know, because that's what we believe in. I'm totally with you that whilst it ticks boxes, for a service that really wants to be head and shoulders and scalable, and I'm going to add sellable, you really do need to be committed to quality and risk management and improvement and all of the rest of it. So whilst it is a bit of a a mammoth task when you're kind of clicking those early boxes, what 
what kind of how has it strengthened what you do? I think it sets it sets us up um, for the public to, to look at us as a quality service, mm. and that um, you know I think I think it's it. As I say to my team, I said, you know, we've we've got it. We would be we would be doing it anyway. Like we, you know, there, there's all these things that the NDIS is requesting of us to put in place is is important to running a successful business. And I feel like having that tick of approval, it it, it proves that that we are, if you know what I mean. So to the public, it it looks good. It should look good. And I think it's a it's a great way of us demonstrating our commitment to quality services. I think what businesses then don't do enough is to actually explain to team and public what it really, really means. And so I look at websites. I've probably looked at about three today. You know, I love NDIS or NDIS registered, but you and I know what it means. But I, I think it sort of gets lost in translation and as you would like to think it's a missed opportunity to then really really message it am I on my own with this sort of thinking no, I am <laughs> I, find, I find it so frustrating and even in our little community here the amount of the, the how easy it is to mislead the public in terms of what you are and what you do um mm. you know so if you're not registered so that I mean let me put that properly. So I guess what I try and say is look for the registered providers because you know you're going to get what you what what they say. Um, mm. Whereas the non-registered providers, you know, they're so that they can easily mislead. They they charge less, so therefore uh, they can they charge less because they're not having to fork out thousands and thousands of dollars to keep their mm. registration up. Um, and so, therefore, it's very easy to mislead the public into going to that service provider because they don't understand what goes into keeping yourself registered. And for us to keep a really reputable quality service, we need to charge that because there's so much more going into, into a business than, than that, you know, our face-to-face every week. Yeah. What do you think the longer-term advantages of being registered are going to be? Say two, three, four, five years. Look, I think um, it's a hard question because I, I guess there's so many, um, so much not known about the NDIS <laughs> and what we see in the media. You know, I think there's sort of some panics here and there about is the NDIS mm. sustainable, is it not? I just go back to to the fact that if we keep registered, we're maintaining and we're forced to maintain the quality and the the safety and the governance and everything, you know, that that if we decide, you know, not to be registered in the future or the, the NDIS goes bellies up, belly up. We know we've still got a really strong yeah. governance system there um, that, you know, will continue. Our business is not doesn't have to be yeah. linked to the NDIS, but we need that strong governance. And while the NDIS yeah. is still so pivotal, why not be registered? Because we need everything's yeah. necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I'd add um, add on to that that it 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 brings discipline and rigor mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we are registered. We need to keep doing A, B, C, D, E because there's going to be a light touch order and then the next one, and kind of keeps you on guard in a really really good way 100%. that you just don't slack off or sabotage yourself or think we'll push it out to that next quarter and it doesn't matter like it used to. And it really is that rigor. Um, yeah. And the businesses that have had a couple of um, cycle audit cycles now 
kind of, yeah, going from strength to strength and it's becoming their somewhat their everyday practice um, as well. So, yeah, yeah, I think with a business that's got to my size, it's 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 imperative to be registered to, mm. to keep that discipline, as you say. Um, yeah. Yeah, it makes you accountable. Yeah. Uh, the NDIS has done wonders for your business. Yes. Um, what do you reckon it's done for the for kids and families? Oh, amazing. I am yeah. a huge advocate of the NDIS. I say this all the time. Like the this reform is just incredible. Uh, it has given families the, the, the possibilities that they never had before. You know, it's given mm. them um, hope. Um, it's given them the services that that they deserve, you know, and and yeah, I the the change of you know even in our little where we you know in our little sphere up here the changes we see and the 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 positive stories are far outweigh the difficulties that that we experience as well. So yeah. Kind of pretty motivating when it's, you know, the dark of night and you're rolling your eyes over spreadsheets and performance this and risk that to kind of bring it back to, wow, you know, people's lives are being improved here. Do you tap into that kind of motivation? Amazing. And I think that's what keeps the team inspired, you know. Uh, I, you know, business is not easy, I don't think, especially in rural, remote Australia where we have, we have, um, you know, Karatha is even feels the ups and downs of mine and resource industry and things mm. like that. People come, people go. So to be able to keep for my team focusing on on what we're doing that's that's positive, like like huge, you know, making positive change is what keeps the passion. And um, I try not to have to share so much of the other stresses with the whole team. Like it's good to share some, but to, you know. Uh, but to keep focused on the amazing things that are happening because we're doing what we love and we're also sticking to the values that we set out from the beginning. Yeah, and you're yeah. seeing the change on a day-to-day Absolutely. basis. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. long yeah. way to go. I think uh, when I talk about like the NDIS in a whole, amazing, but, gee, we still have a lot of a lot of um, work to do in, these, in the regional areas. Uh, it looks so different. Service delivery looks completely different in r- rural rural areas, and I don't think we are being supported as much as we need to in terms of service providers. To to like, I don't think the NDIS is supporting the difference as much as they need to. I'm intrigued. Tell us more about that. Well, you know. I think we have a large Aboriginal um, population mm. in, in Karatha. So, you know, the way that service delivery looks for that culture is totally different to what, what we would be seeing every day in, in, in a metropolitan area. Mm. You know, we know, which is why, which is why the comp- Connect has, has now invested so heavily in an Aboriginal community liaison. Uh, we could be spending going through all their plan just trying to find the families and and build up a trusting relationship. And we know that that trust is pivotal to us making any change. So it's just just about trying to demonstrate to the NDIS that, um, you know, there's there's a lot more um, there's a lot more complexity and a lot more time that has to go into into actually 
getting the outcomes with with the with the Aboriginal families, but also you know not only Aboriginal mm-hmm. families like l- people up here need to know that we understand what it's like to live up here. There's lots of barriers. There's, you know, so yeah, um, I just think there could be a lot more support in, 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 in what service delivery can look like in these regions. We have to cover, I mean, families are, tr- are driving five hours just to come and see a speech pathologist. Um, how are we going to make it so that it's more accessible? Mm. Mm. Uh, how are we going to support those families? You know that that's yeah to to be able to access the supports that they need and deserve without um, how do I put it without running through their plan at a huge you know at a at a yeah. rate of knots. So, just so let's say you're well big things. Let's say mm. you're boss of the NDIS. What else would you want to change? Travel. In remote areas is a big problem. The distances, you know, if a clinician needs to get to Tom Price five hours away uh, to support with seating and bedding, and you know, and 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 things modifying the home, mm-hmm. that's a five-hour trip just there. So you know, that's not covered by the NDIS. It actually it comes out of the participants' plan to get a team over there. Uh, so th- that's a big one. Um, another one is the access requests. So um, just we have a huge yeah. problem of, you know, I think I think I can't, I could be wrong, but there were recent stats that the Pilbara and the Kimberley had only 40% utilisation of plans. Sorry, yeah, 40%. So that means that there are 60% of people out there who have a plan but don't know how to use it. Yeah. So how are we supporting that? And and I know they talk about community connectors, et cetera. It's, it's not enough. Mm. Um, and, and it's not it's not actually making a big enough change. Uh, we we get people coming into our office regularly to say, what do I do with this? So then that's all for we we have to take our staff away from something which could be billable to support this family to just get access to the NDIS. And it's mm. very draining. Uh, businesses, we can't sustain that, you know. Yeah. That's Forever. a hot topic mm. is getting getting access to the NDIS, you know, where, yeah, there's. I think there's a fair bit of work getting done on that. So I hope you guys see the uh, the upside of that. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, but it's, mm. it's, it, it is and um, it's, it's, we, fa- we face it all the time. Mm. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Anything else you do as boss of the NDIS? <laughs> you put me on the spot. Um, Running business, this, and I'm sure this is another hot topic. So, you know, supporting businesses, especially, well, I can only talk for where we, we are in the rural regions to be sustainable, you know, and, and to make sure that we aren't, that we are going to, we can afford to keep running, yeah. you know, that's, that's, yeah, I, I think um, where the NDIS surely would like to in, make sure that a business such as mine is sustainable and possibly earning a profit, but, you know, but, yeah, there's very limited acknowledgement of how much it costs to run businesses here. I've recently just gone to the Christmas Island as well. We've got a few clients over there. And, I mean, that is just that was just eye-opening as mm. to what what what's going on, you know, and just no one even knows about the NDIS and, um, yeah, really frightening of these barriers that people are facing um, in rural, remote Australia. Yeah. 
Oh dear, I would add to your wish list, I think that they could be doing a bit more work around allied health assistance, which I know they are, and also uh, how to make group programs easier, <laughs> more effective, just easier than sitting there in the, you know, in the afternoon with the calculator, figuring out how to bill it yeah, and true. Package it up and make it um, effective for everybody as well. So um, yeah, I guess we've got a we've got a bit of a wish list there between us, Caitlin. Yeah, I agree. No, the allied health assistance is a big one, and yeah, we uh, we we I love allied health assistance, but um, yeah, we we're getting and we recruit sort of teachers or somebody you know with a you have to get qualified. I believe we we look for qualified staff. It's it's not that easy just to get an allied health assistant who's done a TAFE course. You know that it it really yeah. does need to be somebody with some education um, and 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 can think out the box a little bit. I think a lot of business owners run the assumption that it's an easy job and almost anyone can do it. I think it's a really really hard job personally. Totally. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know that I could have done it as an undergraduate OT. Um, maybe I could have in perhaps third or fourth year, but um, wow, it's real meat in the sandwich stuff and could be highly valuable and impactful and amazing contribution to the team. But there's a lot goes into an allied health assistant delivering an hour of program that I think spins back to perhaps the agency not yet understanding what that means commercially, ethically, outcomes, whatever. Agreed. I think um, it also puts a lot of response. I mean, and it should. Uh, those programs, like, and I'm. Uh, this is something we've worked very hard to do. Those programs have to be extremely explicit and thorough, yeah. and that is that's time consuming for the for the clinician. But if they're not, it's not going to work. So you yeah. know, it's really a, a recipe for them to do. And if you if you're lucky enough to get an yeah. AHA who can think out the box, great. But they still are following that program yeah yep oh goodness so many juicy topics in here thank you so much so let's get out the crystal ball where's connect pediatric therapy services going we know where it's been where's it going oh look i um i i would just be content to see connect continue you know in the next few years running really good quality services for the community i'd love i i I can't promise. I'd love to see um, us possibly have more of a um, uh, have a stable staff who um, so we can service more people in terms of getting through our waitlist. We have a six to nine month waitlist pretty much for every discipline mm. at the moment. So that's always tricky. But unfortunately, I'm bound by, you know, recruitment difficulties and people leaving town. And it's just one of those things. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard to tell. I, I don't even, Kathy, I don't even know what's going to be like in the next six months, let alone the next five years. <laughs> so the business plan is just a little sticky note, just at the back of your, at the back Pretty of your much journal. I, okay. um, we won't yeah. tell anyone. That's okay. <laughs> I love micro planning. I, I'm a huge fan of micro planning. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm sort of working from working in a six months increments at the moment because um, things change so quickly. Well, you know, let your imagination run wild. What would be a great, you know, a great um, end of 2021 for you? Um, 
we're busy doing our renewal at the moment. Mm -hmm. So that'll be good to have that behind us. Um, We, yeah, I think um, we've had just recently had a few staff um, resign. So it would be, you know, I, I, I guess I'd like to go into 2022 with, with, with a good, with a sort of solid team again. We've had that for the past two years and it's only natural that the cycle yeah. continues and that's just the way it is. But, um, we've got such a strong leadership team at the moment. I would like to see, uh, our, yeah, I think I think we can really develop the young clinicians and offer such a good learning opportunity. And I'd like to sort of see that our recruitment all pays off and we get that that back. Yeah, yeah. So but building it, team. Yep, go. No, just 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 building that team um, and making sure that we're all on the same page and and making real change. That's all it's about is making real change for families living in regional remote Australia. And then. What's your role going to be in this next phase of the business? Do you want me to sing or dance while you think of an answer? (laughs) I'll distract everyone. I I have recently put my fingers back into um, clinical work. doing Really? I know, doing a little bit of PBS, positive behaviour supports, which I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, So who knows? Um, I've enjoyed that. So I'm back doing clinical for two, one and a half days a week, which is enough. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy because I'm wearing so many hats, but, um, I, I don't want to lose that. And I'm enjoying sort of that new realm of, of PBS. And it's Mm. really uh, brings a lot of my, my passions that I had in clinical work as a speech pathologist into a really great framework. So I'm enjoying that learning. So when someone asks you, what do you do? What do you introduce yourself as? I'm a speech pathologist. <laughs> and just this accidental entrepreneur and business owner? Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very good at, um, well, I, I am a speech pathologist, I believe. And, yeah, I've just been lucky to surround myself with people that have helped me and guided me to, to build, connect. And, um, yeah, I, I do still think, think that, uh, look, I believe I make my own luck, but I do think that um, I've been, I'm very fortunate in attracting the right people to work with me. Yeah. I was going to ask you about luck, um, but you mm-hmm. sort of just said that you do make your own. I'm kind of of a similar belief. You can yep. take certain opportunities, you can decline certain opportunities, you can kind of shape your luck. Um, and in a recent um, podcast, you know, it was described beautifully as the difference between good fortune and luck and being fortunate and lucky. So, um, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm never one to shy away from opportunities and take a risk. Uh, mm. That's that's something that drives me. But I think the NDIS rolling out in the Pilbara at the time that I was ready to take that leap was fortunate. very fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> very fortunate. Very yeah. fortunate. So you can have the last uh, the last few moments with the talking stick. What would you love uh, allied health business owners who are listening, what would you love them to know or think about or do or not do? I think we're in such a... Uh, exciting space in allied health I think it's taken us it's taken the world or Australia a long time to really value what we Mm. do and for the first time in you know my 20 years uh, we are being valued not only for just the face-to-face work we do with clients but all the everything else that goes into the back of supporting a family and we know how much 
that takes, you know. Um, and I guess I guess I would love to see allied health professional professionals own own what we do. Um, you know, own who we are and the changes we make. I, I have to work through this a lot with my staff about, but you are worth that amount, you know, you are worth <laughs> that amount. How How is it okay that you could go and see a doctor and a lawyer and be charged, you know, 15-minute, 10-minute increments, but you feel uncomfortable charging yourself out at that much? Um, you know, we've, yeah, I just think it's about valuing who we are and, the, and and what we can do. That's what I would encourage everyone to own. Oh, couldn't end on a better note. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing the uh, the chapter that is of uh, your wonderful business. And, um, yeah, we'll have to kind of check in again and uh, sooner rather than later and kind of see where, uh, where it's all at now. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Kathy. I appreciate you inviting me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Private Practice Made Perfect podcast is brought to you by Experts on Air Podcast Network.